0: Hey, this is Teen. Very quick note to this week's episode. We did this podcast in two parts, the majority of which is going to be released free. This is what you're listening to now. That's part one. Uh, There's an overflow uh, conversation I kind of went after, and that'll be part two in the Patreon feed, which is available to members. And if you want to subscribe, please visit patreon.com slash planamag. Escape
1: from Plan A. Escape. 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 From plan a. Right,
0: welcome to Escape from Plan A. Uh, this is Teen. Uh, eve of the uh, American election. Uh, it's been a while since I've talked with uh, my friends, Carl. Carl Zah, who's on the line all the way in Bali. Say hi, Carl.
2: Hi. Hi, team.
0: How's it going, man? Congra- oh, congratulations, by the way. We'll talk about that in a sec. Congratulations on the uh, recent uh, wedding. Um, and Shang Yu, who is uh, still with us in the United States. I haven't talked to you in a while either. Hope you're doing well. How are you doing, Shangyu? Yu? Great. Thanks for having me on again. It's been a year, right? Something like that? It feels like it. It feels like it. Um but yeah, good to hear. We, we, we had a little bit of a chance to catch up before we hit record. It sounds like you both are doing well. Um, yeah, so uh, I wanted to, because I saw you both. Shang-Yu, you like moderated that debate with Lyman, right? And uh, that, that Lyman had with Carl. Yes. Uh, sort of these Twitter debate series that Carl's been doing, one also with Noah Smith. And, uh, you know, it it, it went <laughs> as expected. The guy was a caveman. um but it was it was good to see both of you uh on screen so i was like hey let's try to catch up uh between the three of us and see how everything's doing how everything's going how is that
2: Shang you put a brave face during the whole debate i mean (laughs) people should watch his face during the during our debate it's great
1: actually um the the thing is i was just trying to figure out how to do live streams because it's something that i kind of and I'm interested in doing in the future for like certain things. It's I'm not going to be like a Twitch streamer or like some gamer or whatever, but it's something good to know how to do. And um, we figured, and Carl suggested doing the debate live. And since my internet is more stable and I wanted to learn how to do this stuff. So I was like, okay, why not? Let's just use Lyman as a guinea pig, almost.
0: I thought I thought that it was really effective because, I mean, a lot of these guys can seem earnest and almost like, halfway coherent on twitter but when you get them like you know live on video uh and like on you know and you're able to directly confront them with certain topics the whole th- the whole charade sort of gives itself up i thought with lyman in particular i was like oh yeah this this guy's obviously
1: off his rocker a little bit like it just did but he genuinely down. believes what he's saying like he's That's not he's bad, he's yeah. not like he's not a liar per se he yeah He's been fed lies, I mean, but he believes them.
2: I mean the thing is people like Lyman and Noah Smith, they are the ones who are given a huge platform, a media platform in mainstream media all the time, right? And and they are presented as a respectable view. Like they they were never been challenged in their turf, right? So it was good that uh you know some somebody um challenging them on their their presumptions
1: yeah the way that um like people like them they're provided a platform by by the mainstream whereas we are not so if we want to challenge them if this were like a war that we're talking about they would be like conventional warfare we would have to use guerrilla tactics which is i think what we're kind of doing with like social media and whatnot
0: yeah i mean props to both of them for agreeing to do it because i think it's it's You know, they don't really have. Maybe it was just like, like you said, they actually believe what they're saying. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe it was a little bit of uh, overconfidence or something. I don't know. But props on them for at least coming out and being willing to uh, engage in a debate, so to speak, because a lot of these people just seem to hide and they're not really interested in, you know, trying to tease out in any sort of discourse, any sort of truth. Like, they know what they're being paid for. They know what they're shilling.
1: You know, they yeah. they,
0: they, they, they they seek to gain, they would gain nothing from doing something like Certainly. this.
2: Certainly.
1: You know I and um, exactly. I think I was brought on to Lyman's because um, I think Noah and Lyman both brought up the um, Chinese involvement in the Korean War, saying that it was a Chinese invasion of Korea. So me being somebody who has family history in Korea and whatnot, I, mean, I and who's also interested and passionate about this topic? Carl figured, hey, he could have me on and just um, tag me into the debate if it gets brought up, and it wasn't brought up, so that was kind of a shame.
2: I think Lyman <laughs> Lyman uh, would have been lit up. Uh, yeah, I I think I kind of give away the game a little bit by telling Lyman that I, ha- I I'm having you on to moderate because of your family background. So so if you notice he. He studiously avoided topics with either Taiwan or Korea. <laughs> <laughs> he stayed away from
1: the Yalu River and stayed exactly. at the 38th parallel.
2: <laughs> he stayed below the 38th. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And definitely I give props for Noah Smith for agreeing to do the live, uh, well, not the live, the recorded debate with me. Um, I mean, he, he's very nice about it. I think he, a lot of his views are com, come mostly from ignorance.
1: Both Reddit of them are pretty and, nice uh, people on a personal level, I yeah. must say well i don't I never talked to Noah, but Lyman was a pretty nice guy on a personal level and you can, it's hard to be an asshole to him exactly mm. exactly mm-hmm.
2: and and you know uh, speaking so the, props prop to them for appearing because it, like uh teen said that there are plenty of people who understood their their job is as a shell for the empire. You know, they don't bother with people like us. I actually challenged uh, Gordon Chan to a debate after he quote tweeted me, you know.
0: <laughs> I really doubt. That guy is someone who knows. I, I, I would put money that he would never agree to anything like that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty
2: sure he would not do
0: it.
1: He'll only yeah. talk to high schoolers who aren't going to challenge his views.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or Fox News. Like, he'll go on Fox oh, yeah. News because, you know, they, they already know what
1: They've already planned out. Carl, did you set, ever right? send out that right. invite to me um,
2: No. Okay, I gotta do it. <laughs> you so, uh, sorry, I got swamped by a whole bunch of things lately. <laughs> and 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 but that's yeah, even but more. I, un,
0: she's even more
1: unlikely. Yeah, uh, she blocked me on like on Instagram on on I don't know. If she blocked me on Instagram, but she blocked me on Twitter two times before I got permanently banned, and then she blocked me from commenting on her Facebook. Facebook fan page because she said that there's no such thing as ice cream in North Korea and then I posted a picture of ice cream that I had in North <laughs> yes, Korea yes, I remember that yeah. <laughs> Oh man.
0: I, let's say, I think she might believe that she literally is the only person who has ever smuggled out any information about North Korea as if it's like a black hole and information cannot escape and the thing
1: is she left when 100. she was an early teenager back during the Kim Jong Il days so, and it's kind of ridiculous how they portray her as some sort of expert on Kim Jong Un's government. And it's been such a long time, and the um, the the situation is not exactly the same. And and people just kind of forget that she's the daughter. She's a privileged daughter of a corrupt government official. Oh, really,
2: I didn't my, know that. So, I mean, is, that was really, her
1: life really that shitty? I doubt it.
2: I mean, the, this is this is just not her. I mean, it's uh, but the the her story. A lot of people in US buy into it because they just don't have any reference to what the real life is like in North Korea. I first find out about her uh, through a Facebook post by my high school classmates, right? She's like, "Oh my god, North know, Korea this, uh... is an unimaginable <laughs> country." <laughs> yeah, that this that oh, Her
0: her whole story fits an existing yes. story like it fits an existing story. It like, appeals this, like, to like
1: the whole oh um, uh, damsel in distress Distress. We yeah. need like the good Western savior to go in and liberate the people and save her.
0: Yeah, it's a very missionary. Type, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, story. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I just and, just...
2: and and when I first her average, saw... fa-
0: her average fan must be like a seventy-two-year-old,
1: you know, <laughs> white man. No, they're, like, also, yeah. they're also they're oh. also Korea Boos.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Like at my school, I saw that there was um this, uh, what is it, Korean American student association or whatever it's called and it's fine they do they it's it's it just appeals to a lot of um korea booze and they do a lot of like k-pop stuff and also like korean holidays but then like i I noticed that every one of their events they have link liberty and north korea which was founded by um what's his name um his his last name is hong who the guy who founded a regime change organization who carried out that attack on the dprk embassy in spain they have like a lot of shady history, and I asked the I asked the people in that organization like at my school about it, and they just had no idea about any of it. They just believed that, oh, it's a social justice group
2: um and people like uh, Park Young me, I mean this is, there's there's a lot I mean it's a very common theme actually, these kind of weaponized uh, immigrants right being used to 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 pedal a certain narrative in u.s media um, You were old enough to remember saw-
1: Nairo's testimony.
2: <laughs> I am. That was the first.
0: That was the first Gulf war, too. That wasn't even. Yes. yes. Yeah. That was, that was yeah, the George Bush
1: that's uh, when I, senior one. No, it's that's like the stuff. First, it's amazing how. Sorry. Go on.
2: No, go ahead. Go ahead. That, that's when I first came to United States. By the way, that's uh, the first war. That's my first war in, in experience in Europe. What was
1: your first war? Teen.
2: Uh, you asking me?
0: Uh, no, every uh I I think. It was, it it was like the, it was like the Reagan ones, you know, like Granada. Oh, wow. Wow. I, okay. So
2: I just remember, uh, so I, I was, uh, I started eighth grade when I came to us, um, and in my elementary school during Gulf war, there's like flags (laughs) everywhere, you know, supporting our troops banners. And I was actually shocked by the kind of the, um, Kind of the propaganda, the amount of propaganda that was present in an elementary's classroom. Like, I was that you, you know, I coming from China, straight from China, <laughs> I was shocked by that level of like kind of pro war propaganda presented to like eighth graders. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 some, some kind of mind boggling, but but the people who were you know my classmates in Chicago, they I guess they just didn't know any better, so for them, that was. That's that's a, like the norm. <laughs> that's you American Amer- elementary school. America's
0: like the he- oh sorry America's like the heavyweight champ that like only schedules like nobodies like in my life it's been you know like Panama, Grenada, uh, uh Kuwait or 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 the you know the Iraq Army in Kuwait, Afghanistan. Like it's not if I, I if you're in China it would have been like Russia, Vietnam, India the United States, like, they've they've got a heavy lineup, you know what I mean, when it comes to wage war?
2: <laughs> well, that's what I used to, um, actually, before, before 9-11, uh, there was a recession, so there was a recession right after the tech bubble bursted, right, like, in, in 2000, 2001, um, actually, just before, so so it would have been 2000, because uh, 9-11 happened in 2001. Um, Uh, I would I was um, so I joke that, you know, even if the economy turns bad, I can always have the option to, you know, enlist in the military. Right. You know, get get on the government payroll because uh, because the Colin Powell doctrine. Right. Like so that means we will never uh, we we will never go in. You invade it. You own it. Yeah, we, we'll yeah. never go in unless with overwhelming uh overwhelming numbers. So so basically, you know, like I thought the U.S., I, you know, up to the Iraq war, U.S. still suffer from like the Vietnam syndrome, right? And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you'll be pretty safe that in the U.S. military. You're just basically collecting government salary. And then 9-11 happened. And, you know, Afghanistan, invasion of Iraq, it's really a crazy ride from there. It's it's just like nonstop <laughs> now not th- i think look back it it's really it has been nonstop since then it, yeah
0: and and actually that that, that raises a point um, which is uh the way i look at it it's kind of like something something ha- i think i think something happened in 99 to 2000 in the united states um i feel like 99 was sort of like the inflection point. And once we got to 2000, and we had this botched, you know, uh, election, uh, that, that got Bush Jr. Uh, elected, then 9 11 happened shortly thereafter. You know, we started waging a uh, preemptive war uh, almost immediately in the wake of that. We had an economic meltdown in 2007 2008 uh and now of course we see where we're at it's been 20 years of like a snowballing decline i'd put it or crisis snowballing crisis or i don't know what i think let me put it into words i think
1: So yeah. after the fall of the Soviet Union, if you're in the West, you were brought up with this sort of – you were fed this propaganda. It's like, oh, it's the victory of the free world. It's the end of history where mm. we have a bright future and ahead. that's the beginning yes. of the 90s, 1991, yes. right? Yeah. Um, and it's also um, – well, the fall of the other um, Eastern, Eastern European socialist bloc happened in the late 80s. So it was like a, it was like a process that happened through the 80s and culminate, culminating with the, um, the collapse of the Soviet Union and then it was like all that sort of optimism free world bright future it's just um every the whole world's just going to em- yes embrace um liberal democracy and stuff and and then um yeah the, two, the 2000s hit and you know the the contradictions reached a certain boiling point and you know we had to we had to wake up to reality and i
2: think i think 2000 was definitely like the peak the peak of American power. Uh, I I mean, like, before that, I totally bought in into... well, I don't know if I really bought into end of history. Like even when it came out, I thought it was pretty silly. Uh, but I, I, I was a, I was a U.S. liberal back then. <laughs> I was a believer mm-hmm. in the whole U.S. liberalism. I mean, would
0: you would you say like you thought it would have lasted longer than it has? Like it wasn't, it wouldn't have unraveled as quickly as it seems oh, to have. Oh yeah, done over yeah. the past twenty years. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you would, you would not. I mean, it's really hard to imagine. In nineteen, let's say nineteen ninety eight, uh, the kind of uh situation U.S. would be in right now. I mean, like in nineteen ninety, just you know, around the time of um, well, nineteen ninety eight was a time of the you know Asian financial crisis and then the Russian crisis, right? And U.S. seems to be kind of like the island of stability. Right. And, and, and the, the U.S. Seemed could do good, could do no wrong. And and uh, and for, for me personally, that's uh, I mean, it, it, I, I benefited in a lot of way from the U.S. system. And I, because I came to U.S. as a poor immigrant boy, um, my dad was, uh, you know, my dad came to this country in 1985. He studied uh, electrical engineering. In Chicago, and and when I was brought in in 1990, he was still a poor, uh, overworked grad student, right, working like as a TA, uh, earning pittance. So I qualified for free uh, free lunch program in school, and and I really believed the idea that you know U.S. has. Kind of like the social mobility through hard work, through you know studying hard, I can move in to the middle class lifestyle. That the, the the so-called American dream, right? So that that was me all throughout high school, college years. Uh, you know, I believe that you know just if I just study hard, things will happen, and 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 everything that I went through seemed to validate that because. Uh, when I first started out, we were, our, my family was living in like a $300 uh, monthly rent apartment in uh, like a working class neighborhood in Bridgeport, Chicago. And, and then uh, we, we, um, you know, I, 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 so I, I tested out. um, And then because my English wasn't that great, uh, you know, I didn't, Test into like the, the the top public magnet school, uh, which was Whitney Young in Chicago at the time. So I went to Kingwood Academy in Chicago South Side, just outside of University of Chicago campus. And and for people who don't know, at least back in nineteen nineties, University of Chicago is like a ghetto within a ghetto. And and you know if you just step outside of the campus limit, you are in the ghetto. And and I had to take a hour bus ride every morning from Bridgeport to uh to Hyde Park. And so very very two sides of America kind of
0: experience. Oh you're, you're yeah,
2: yeah, right. totally. I mean like I you know, before coming to America, you know, in China as a like a twelve, thirteen year old boy, I read some articles about, you know, decline of United States. Um, when I first came to us, because I was living in inner city Chicago and because my bus rides will take me, take me an hour through the South side, of Chicago through the, you know, public housing projects and stuff. I thought, wow, it's, it's true. You know, I see kind of the run down public infrastructure, rusty, uh, railway, uh, like the, uh, um, the rusty train, train, train tracks. And, uh, everything was pretty bleak. Um, but then I, uh, we, we had a, we, in, in elementary school, we had a, like a school trip. We, we were organized to go to visit uh, Illinois Mass and Science Academy out, out in Aurora, Illinois. And when I went there, I thought, oh, wow, there's a whole different world. I mean, like, uh, it's, it's this uh, boarding school that's out in the middle of the cornfield. When I got there, Uh, You know, like their campus was very, very nicely done. It's almost like a college campus. Um, So when when I was on the visit, you almost feel like um, it's like a magical (laughs) Disney wonderland (laughs) to me as a kid from from inner city Chicago. So I spent a whole year just preparing to take SATs, get my grades up, get a teacher's recommendation, write essay to get into that school because you know the, the process of getting into IMSA is just like applying for college and and so for me and I did get in uh they take um they take they, they take soft starting from sophomore year they take sophomore so after one year spending in Kenwood where I saw my classmate getting shot in the in the schoolyard right after I got off math team practice I saw people oh, wow. get yeah i mean that's how bad it was i it was like a whole group of people were just rushing there to see you know to see the corpse and i at the time i my bus was coming and i was like okay should i <laughs> go go watch and but no, my you know the my next bus will be another half hour so i i went to take the bus and i still i still remember that i came back and watched it watch it on the on the news um and And so for me to escape that, um, like the urban poverty and go to IMSA, because IMSA was a state-funded school. So um, you are required to live in school. So no matter where you live, even if a block off the school campus, you still have to live. It was a Uyghur concentration camp. What, the mid-90s or so? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... uh, so for for me, that was they take you know the idea is a it's an experimental school. So the state will, um, so the, the state will try out all kind of exper- experimental curriculum on us. But they wanted bright kids, so they take like the top five percent from across the state. Um, you know, like the, in exchange for getting like free tuition, free room and board. You know, they will do all some all kind of uh, experimental curriculum, try kind of all kind of. Ex- parental curriculum for us. But for me, that was kind of like entering the paradise. You know, this, that was my, it's almost like getting into college early when you are like 15, you know, 15, 16, uh, living away from home. It was, uh, so for me, that was like almost achieving the American dream, right? And, and, and I thought, yeah, just this is the USA, you know, through hard work, you can pull yourself up by bootstraps. And, And after that, I um, got into Caltech, you know, also Caltech has a very generous financial aid program. So, uh, and also, plus, like, my family was poor. So my, my first year in Caltech was almost entirely, entirely free. Um, uh, You know, I I, I took a little bit loans, and then I have a, um, I had a scholarship. uh, But it so I thought, wow, this is this is America, right? This is this is how you work. I mean,
0: everything that people say about America is uh, coming true for you to a de- to a degree. Exactly. Right? You're working exactly. hard. You're studying hard, and you're getting the results. And there's some there's some notion of uh, meritocracy here that's propelling you forward. You know.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: I think what's interesting is um, if let's say you were a poor family from America, you're you're um I, I'm assuming your dad um. Received his education yes. in China, and if he were poor in the U.S., it might have been very difficult for him to <sighs> receive that sort of education, especially in STEM. Yes.
2: Of course, yeah.
1: So there was certain. It's it's interesting because um, that's the the whole process of um brain drain from the socialist world. Pretty much, um, it's pretty much what you went through. You know, you people fit this certain um, they're from a certain segment of society back in you know China or whatever. Other socialist country, I, I think. Um, okay, we can argue about revisionism or whatever, but up until the late seventies, there's pretty much no argument. China was um, undoubtedly socialist by most um, definitions of the word, and that's when um, you know your parents received their education, and it's like the the U.S. kind of through the power of the dollar attracts talent over here. That way, they don't have to spend their own money to. You know um train a generation of aspiring scientists yeah i mean and then they kind of yeah just, uh, yeah
2: definitely because my dad he was like the top of his class like back in um he's a little bit older so back in 1960s he test like in the gaokao the the university entrance exam he was number one in his city and uh, yeah oh, yeah wow. and he he um he was going to apply he wanted to apply to Tsinghua, the, right, the top number one school, technical school in China, but because, because my grandpa was a member of KMT, and so he was afraid that he would be rejected on the political ground. So he, he, he instead of applying to Tsinghua, like his classmate did, he applied to the next uh, the, the next year um the second the second ranking university uh Xian Jiao da and so he he ended up going there um and and after end after the cultural revolution ended he was also the first generation of Chinese students that basically came abroad to study right and 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 then you know also there's a political aspect of it because he had been planning to Returned to China after he completed his study in United States, and then 1989 Tiananmen protest broke out, uh, and then and the, at that time, uh, you know, Tiananmen protest had broad-based support among a wide segment of like Chinese intellectuals, especially overseas Chinese students. So, so my parents, uh, you know, they also protested outside of a uh, Chinese consulate in Chicago, and they decided. Um, they're not gonna return to china instead they will bring me to united states uh so because up to that point me and my sister still lived in still lived in china with our grandparents um and so that that was kind of like the like the, the the background that you were talking about Shanghai like end of the cold war uh country people like a lot of uh, yeah you're yeah you're looking
0: right i mean because eighty nine when did the berlin wall come down maybe like one and a half, two years later after that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is going to be really, and in my life, I feel like that if if I was born in 78, um, yeah, I I would say that that really, I've never felt, I mean, looking back, I would say the mid to late 80s into the 90s was a time of just like supreme confidence in the United States. And it, it was just almost unimaginable, Um, and I think for younger people, it's hard to maybe relate to that now, but I mean, it really was, it wasn't just that. And I think maybe, and we could, uh, you know, my, my theory, uh, uh, and I'm kind of curious what you think here, but you know, it wasn't just that America was powerful, but like looking back, it seemed to be when you're powerful, you know, it's really easy and seductive to believe that you're Right. Uh, If that makes sense, meaning like you absolutely and I can understand why people believed in in the Fukuyama, you know, end of end of history notion back then, which is just like, how else do you describe being, you know, in this position? You're seeing like every, you know, you're seeing the socialist model around the world crumble. You're seeing popular movements rise up against it. Communist China is on its, you know, very back heel. They I think they came I don't know what the history is now, but it, it you know, it, it seems like the history is saying that they were pretty close to, uh, you know, really push, you know, fully pushing or committing to some sort of democratic reforms in, in 89. Uh, there were various factions. various factions. I mean, it was a real there was a real movement for that, even within uh, the upper echelons of the party. Right.
2: Um, oh, are we talking seems... about China, Communist Party it, of China? Yes,
0: in Ch- yes. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Definitely. There was yeah. a. There was. I mean, I was reading art. So, as a thirteen year old in China in eight, 89 I was reading uh, articles in magazine talking about you know how to um, lever up the you know the experimental village democracy and how to how to propagate that up the up the ranks, right? And and there's there's a 1980s was a time of experimentation in China um, because after Cultural Revolution, um, you know, suddenly China was uh, opened up again, and there was like all different ideas are coming into China. I mean, there's even like the American. A lot of the American political thoughts are filtering through. I was reading in Chinese magazine about how the virtues of small government, right? <laughs> like It's a traditional talking points of uh, American conservatives. Um, and, and so and, and, and I think it's a it's kind of reflection of the, the time, because uh, at the time there were just so many foreign ideas coming in, you know, the the, the, the a lot of the Chinese intellectuals are just trying to absorb them as best as they could, um, not without necessarily understanding the context. Um, and, and yes, there was, a there was a serious debate, you know, within the party on the direction, how, you know, how the reform is going. Um, and, and I think that's everything kind of come to a head in 1989. And that, that was also part of, uh, um, I, I, this, these are the things are, that's rarely talked about in the Western mainstream media because there's a lot of reductionism and 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 the media like to paint a simple black and white, uh, you know, reform versus uh, the moderate versus the hardliner kind of uh kind of a uh, dichotomy. But it, it's a lot more complicated in China back then. It was just uh, you know there a lot of things were in flux and and. And uh, yeah, this is a a confluence of factors. I mean, it's not just in China, but also happening in former Soviet Union and Eastern Europe too, right? Because ultimately, I think, um, you know, people... The funny thing is, like, I know a lot of uh, Chinese uh, people who had took part in the Tiananmen protests just from my participation on overseas Chinese forums. and, uh, and, And because... You know my my parents' connection as uh, you know the the, the, the Chinese students um, of that generation and what I read is like ten years twenty years down the line now it's been what thirty years uh, yeah like a lot of lot of these par- participants of the Tiananmen protests back then now they're looking back and saying oh uh, oh yeah you know the 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 protests actually needed to end. It was just like, we just hope it didn't end in the fashion that it did. But the, because they look at what happened in, uh, in Soviet, former Soviet Union, they look at what happened in uh, e- former Eastern Bloc countries, and they saw the disastrous consequences of the shock therapy versus kind of the rapid development that took off in China after 90s. And, and now kind of almost like the, the broad-based consensus uh, I'm not talking about these not this crazy, wacko, you know, really hardline dissidents that have been a- voices that have been amplified in social media. I'm talking about like regular people uh, that I know. They're, the consensus seems to be that, you know, it, it, that China dodged a bullet in 1989. Like it didn't go down the path that the Soviet, former Soviet Union and Eastern Bloc countries did. Uh, but they, they regret that the, you know, the the protests did end uh, in, in, in violence and bloodshed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back then, I would guess that most people uh, would probably be open to the idea that at some point in the future, you know, the, the story would shift, but not in your lifetime. Like, I, th- I feel like in the 90s. It was almost a safe bet to say, look, probably for the rest of my life, we'll be living under conditions of, you know, American dominance like this. Right. And uh, and that seems to have I don't know. What's your assessment now? Like uh, maybe we could talk about the US because ultimately I want to talk about how both of you have uh, for some extent left the United States. Right. To to live in Asia. And I want to talk about that. But before we get there, like on the eve of this election, um, what are you guys seeing uh, is occurring in the United States now versus, say, 30 years ago? What is the difference? Uh, I mean, obviously, those are that's a massive question, but... Uh, uh, Xiang Yu, well, let's start with you. Like, what do you? Because because you're here. Yeah, hey, I'm not even 30 years old. Yeah, okay, fine, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. But you've read your you've read your history, you know, and uh, you you know, I think you could. Well, okay, but, but nonetheless, like, what what do you maybe not in comparison to 30 years ago, but what do you think about the state? Of, Some changes. Yeah, like where, like how? Because I know there's a lot of alarmism going on in the United States. This is what I kind of asked the question. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are talking about American decline. This is no secret. Um, how serious a thing is it, and how much do you think about that in respect of being a young, you know, a relatively young man? Like, where do you want to spend, where do you want to invest your future, right? Like, does that come to mind in terms of how you assess the state of the United the, of the U.S. at the at the present moment?
1: Does that make sense? Well, mm-hmm. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. As a teenager, I started hearing you know stories about how the U.S. and China are probably poised to go to war at some point. And um, to me, at that point, I thought that was just ludicrous. I mean, mind you, back then, I wasn't that well-read in history. I knew less, even less than I do now. And um, it wasn't something I really thought about. Um, my um, The whole thing is, as a teenager, I just wanted to try. It was always in the back of my head that at some point, I wanted to try to live outside of the U.S., like in Taiwan, where you know my roots are. But not for anything that ideological, but eventually, like in more recent years, you know, we see some changes, especially with um, Obama and Hillary's you know pivot to Asia and how it's apparent that you know there is some sort of um, cling attempt to cling on to the role as the um, sole he- hegemony of the of the world. it's st- It's starting to become um More realistic, I would say. Uh, You mean war between the U.S. and China? No, not Mm -hmm. war between the U.S. and China, but like the decline of the U.S. and uh, I don't want to say outright war. The U.S. typically doesn't go to like full-on war with other big countries. What happens – I mean, you look at the Soviet Union and the U.S. Did they ever fight directly? Not really. They fought like – there were like little proxy wars. Right. Not little, but mm-hmm. I mean, they were a big deal to the people Relative involved. Relative to MAD, um, it wasn't.
0: I guess little.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like U.S. troops, um landing in like Vladivostok or you know, yeah. that sort of mm-hmm. stuff.
0: So you're saying so? Sorry. So what do you find more realistic is is then is is
1: the contradictions will continue to um will continue to boil and the U.S. will it's in a, it's in a, it's kind of like almost socialism or barbarism. Like you're at a point where, what, like liberalism is a comfortable position that you can take when things are relatively stable. But when the capitalist contradictions, imperialist contradictions rise to a certain level, you eventually have to pick sides. You're either on the side of, you know, reaction or the side of revolution.
0: So okay, I see what you're saying. So yeah.
1: what I'm saying is there is there there is, uh, um, I don't I I can't predict things, but I think that there will be a continued social decay. Things are going to get worse in the U.S. before they get better, probably. And um, the way I see it, I, I mean, where there is reaction, there is going to be um, there's going to be a revolutionary response. The question is um how powerful are the two forces? And the way I see things, I think the right is more powerful in the US at this point. So things aren't looking too, too positive from my perspective.
0: I'd agree with that, especially when you consider that the left, so to speak, is just more of what was going on before in terms of liberalism. I don't really see there being a real yes, alternative yes. to that. So you're, ta- you're taking sort of a Mearsheimer perspective here, right? Like the the sort of uh idea that liberalism was a sort of luxury that the US could only afford at a certain point in time when it had this big of a lead over the rest of the
1: world but at this point uh the and that lead was brought was um brought um into reality through bloodshed for sure yeah yeah yeah
0: okay i see and does that factor into like how you think about where you want to invest yourself like You know, in the future, like, do you want to go work in? Do you see like your future being tied more to Asia than to the United States,
1: or how do you? I think so. Mm -hmm. Because right now I'm studying computer science. And um, the thing is, if you do anything STEM related in the US and you go and, and you go to like job career fairs and stuff, a lot of the recruiters, like, I would say at least half of them are, you know, Lockheed Martin. Raytheon, BAE systems, <laughs> right, yeah, that sort of yeah. stuff. And it's just like, do I really want to spend my life working for those types of people?
0: That's a good question. I just can't. That's a good question. I, I, I just Cause, can't. Because my, my father spent his career uh, working in the intelligence agencies. And after college, uh, and I went to University of Maryland, so really not that far from you know, you know, from, the, from the federal government. Uh, I was in line to get my security clearance and go into the intelligence agency, which is, you know, that's a huge, that's a very normal, but you know, safe job to take when you're working in the fed, within the federal yeah. system. And he would, I think, that ship sailed from me. though. Well, he straight up told me, "Don't do it." He was like, "Get don't good advice." Yeah, he was like, "Don't live under a security clearance. You don't want to. You don't want to go and take a fucking uh." you know, polygraph test every two years. Like I have to do it, you know, just don't do it. He was like, plus I know you well enough to know that you're not going to make it. So just, just, (laughs) you know, like, you know, you, you can't go to your polygraph test and be like, uh, yeah, I was talking to this like communist rapper guy about the fall of America <laughs> on this podcast that I didn't tell you about. And then there's this guy, Carl, the New York Times calls a, a asset of the Chinese government. Uh,
2: <laughs> so, you can't be
0: doing that on your polygraph test. Yes,
2: yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like, I think back when we were growing up, teen, like that, you know, to wor- actually work in, uh, you know, get a clearance, security clearance, work in U.S. defense uh, sector was was actually an option, was a viable option. But I think that that's no longer an option for people of Shangyu's generation, especially in light of what's going on in U.S. today, right? I mean, there's literally a witch hunt going on right now against all the Chinese or people with Chinese heritage working in the U.S. STEM field. Right. Oh yeah, there, I think
0: I think the I heard a number something like there's 26,000 active investigations now. Yes. Um, uh, of of you know Chinese federal emplo- Chinese American federal employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's 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 insane. It is an absolute. I went to percent.
1: um, I went to college with this one guy. He's um working in the federal government, and um, he w- decided to t- to take a gap year. He's mainland Chinese. I think he was born in Beijing. And he decided to go do some sort of program for a year or two in Taiwan. And then I met up with him when I was in Taiwan. And I was like, so um, why, why Taiwan? I mean, you're from the mainland. Do you, don't you want to um, just kind of be more connected with your roots? And he said he wants to connect with his heritage, but he also wants to work for the federal government. So Taiwan is the safer option for him.
0: That's that's. I mean, that's. Tr- I mean, he's being realistic, don't you think?
1: He yeah. is. But, but, it, but it, the Wen right. Ho Lee was, but ta- it was, it does, was Taiwanese. Um, it does show how. <laughs> wait, wait, I mean,
0: it it'll buy him limited protection because, like, say, go back to like Wen Ho Lee for example. If you remember that name, yes, uh, he was Taiwanese, and they didn't give a shit. I mean, to to the prosecutor, they're like, I don't know, It sounds Chinese. He is Chinese. I don't yeah, give a shit, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah i mean
1: i mean i mean they're going after racists do uphold the one china principle <laughs> yes they do <laughs> whether, whether or not they admit it when they're when they're being yeah. racist they uphold one yeah, China. It includes,
0: it includes koreans it's 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 yeah. one china it's, it's it's huge they're they take it <laughs> even further than one China.
2: yeah i mean like it's uh it gets more ridiculous i mean it, it, and it comes from both sides of the the political divide in u.s i mean like the the, the New York Times was going after Elaine Chao as some kind of Chinese agent, <laughs> yeah, I remember, right? Yeah. I mean, this is Elaine Chao we're talking about. McConnell's who, wife, dude. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, so, and, and, and she also has a Taiwan background. So basically, like, you are not even safe if you are, like, a, a, a staunch Republican, marry a, a, a white <laughs> Republican leader, and... Um, and, and you know, as long as you are you are have Chinese heritage, you are still liable oh, to be accused of you're, Chinese You're
0: Asian. not even safe if you're Trump, because Obama was out slumping, saying that Trump has a Chinese bank account. So he's... Probably, uh,
2: yes, he's like, yes he's Beijing, screen, he's, yeah, Beijing, it's
1: Beijing, 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 uh Beijing, Beijing, Barry.
2: Barry, uh, yeah, Beijing, Trump, Beijing, Beijing, Biden. I mean, it's, it's getting so ridiculous. Like,
1: Wouldn't Trump be Tianjin Trump? Uh, uh Tiananmen Trump. oh
2: Oh, man and and so yeah so i mean this kind of hostility toward chinese and and it's it's all it's bipartisan right now and there's a serious spillover effect to you know chinese Americans, the people yeah
1: no the the um, the attitudes i mean nowadays it's so ridiculous. Um, when I go on Facebook, sometimes I'll see some posts by, you know, whoever it could be. It could be like a Republican or it could be Democrat or it could be like, you know, Bernie Sanders. And then I, I might make a comment just pointing out, you know, some things I disagree with. And then without fail, like maybe like seven out of 10 times, there will be some comment like, um, well, at least we have a democracy here. Um, And, um, you know. Why don't they'll imply that I'm some sort of paid agent by the CCP just because like my name is in Chinese on Facebook? It's not even in simplified Chinese; it's in traditional Chinese. But they don't give a fuck. I don't know. It's a I don't really it's a, a, a it kind it. of like
0: mass social hysteria hysteria it is. and like a psychosis
1: where you, there needs to be an other. Yeah, we're the good guys. And there needs to be some sort of like bad guy that's out to change our way of life and threaten our very existence. Yeah, that goes back to something
2: you were saying earlier, team that, you know, so there's always this string of um, uh, American exceptional American exceptionalism thought, right? I mean, it's starting way back uh from manifest destiny, right? <laughs> and and like US needs to be kind of on top and 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 bring the light to the world. And and when people realize that US is not no longer going to be number 1 or going to be the hegemon of the world forever, people are panicking. People are like I think that's really what a lot of these um anti-China hysteria come from within U.S. It's it's a lot of anxiety about uh, like the the status of U.S. uh, Like because what we have seen um, since the Great Recession started in 2008, right, there's there's increasing. Social problems within U.S. and a lot of the uh, and a lot of the thing is systematic A system. I mean, people are trying to blame everything on Trump, but, you know, Trump is just a symptom. He's not a cause. And and, and like if you look at the way the U.S. Uh, system is structured, a lot of the problem um is you know th- th- what is dysfunctional is the U.S. system. It's not. It's not one man or one president. It's not something that you know. It, it, if Biden gets elected, it, it, you know things are not going to magically fix itself. Um, and, yeah. and and the thing I'm talking about is you know like things like. Um, you know the the, the so called democracy we have right in U.S. that that supposedly we have choice, but really do we really have a choice when the choice is between Biden and and
1: Trump? Here is the thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I, I think most people. It, it's very painful for a lot of people to really, um, to to face the fact that maybe their understanding of the world is incorrect. So rather than you know thinking that it could be the system itself that is wrong that or that is broken it's much easier to point to specific things of the system like for example you know when you have libertarians who are like oh it's not you know what we have now isn't capitalism but it's crony capitalism and we just want to return to this like um pure form of capitalism i think it's the same it's something similar going on with um people both um democrats and republicans and even a lot of the so-called um so-called democratic socialists who are really just just radical liberals for the most part you know they they don't really want to accept the fact that hey the u.s as a state is failed its system isn't its system is very flawed and this is the logical conclusion of everything that's happened in the past like we got trump because we got obama because we got you know bush and clinton and there, there's more continuity between them than breaks. I mean, Trump Trump continued Obama's wars. I mean, like the Muslim bans, like the what, the seven countries? Those are the countries. Why, why are there even refugees from those countries? It's because Obama bombed the shit out of them. Obama, you know, he deported more people in his first term than Trump has. He dropped more bombs than Bush. But um, it's it's this facade that, oh, we have change and one party is good and one, the other is bad. So then when the good party is in office, then we can just go back to brunch.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, the, the, the difference is that, um, you know, Obama put a nice sheen around it. Right. I and, mean, you know, he he talks a good game, uh, whereas uh, Trump is <laughs> Trump has no he just kind of lifts the cover. And like the the emperor has no clothes. He, he's he's on filter. So he kind of. Lift the cover on on the American Empire and and the the broken system and and people really see what it is. Uh, Yeah,
0: and I I think the key is not. I mean, I think that the U.S. could probably continue its uh insane, it's insanely uh you know, uh, imperial aggressive uh, uh you know foreign policy for quite some time. Yeah. If the if the if the uh people. Uh, stood behind it. And I think that the problems that we're facing now in America are mostly internal. And that's yes. why I think, you know, I think that's why like the one area where we see quite a bit of bipartisanship, meaning, meaning the parties are agreeing is making an enemy out of, uh, the, the foreign, you know, the foreigners, right. The, the, the hated foreigner. Yes. Um, and, and that Russia, I think, Russia, 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 yeah. The Democrats will say Russia, the Republicans will say China, they'll both say Venezuela, you know, whatever. And it seems to me that it's more a way to um, try and find almost, even though they fight over who hates China more or whether ch- Russia's worse than China. It still at least puts them on the same page to say like you know we still have this national project of overcoming foreign enemies and stuff, but uh, you know I think that it the real contradictions uh, as uh, Shang-Yu put it are domestic and so you know
1: really talking about deep. I don't want to say that they're the really real or whatever. I think they're connected, but, I, but they're the ones that directly impact the people in. The U.S.
2: I mean, look at what mm-hmm. happened between like the the height of American power in 2000 till now, right? I mean, the most of the Americans' problem have been self inflicted. You know, we we started multiple wars in Middle East. We devoted resources to our imperial project rather than you know fixing issues within the country, right? And mm-hmm. and this is and while. Countries racial like
0: racial issues got worse, not better.
2: It seems. Yes, and and, and even, even with Obama, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I mean, right now, what what U.S. has done is they just uh, kind of try to co-op like the identity politics to to the to the imperial project. So now now we have a, uh, you know we can't have um, a, a diverse crew that diverse drone operators right that that's 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 droning people in certain world but uh that is kind of like the public image they're trying to put out but 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 in reality in the in in in, in things are things are not improving and and people know that and and i think that's the problem uh it's uh i think this this is this kind of domestic political dysfunction is not going to go away anytime soon um you know because there's the other mechanism in place don't actually only exasperate it because the you know the everything is geared up to win the election uh and and to win an election it's much easier to, um, you know, to divide people to 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 work on socially divisive issues because it's a lot easier for politicians to take a grand stand uh, than actually do do the hard work of. Uh, actually improving the country <laughs> and, and so 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 that's what we ended up doing is all these stupid talking heads battling on tv while you know our infrastructure is crumbling right well while, while, you know people are not getting healthcare and while the 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 racial issue issues remain unresolved so so i don't think that's going to go away
0: so so Carl, i remember because we were talking before we started hit record that you uh this was this was sort of like Gilligan's Island for you your trip to China that started what over well over a year ago right yeah yeah um, what did you do? You quit your job or something, and then you decided you want to go to China for a month or two. I don't <laughs> yes. know. I don't know what was going on, but you were just like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm going to go on a trip. And you see, your, you're going to go see your dad in China, right? He was there for like a thing. So and he- boom, boom, boom. Uh, it's well over a year later. You're in Bali. I don't think you're going to be leaving anytime soon. You just got married. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what happened? Like what? What? Uh, how, is, is this related at all to uh, what we're talking about now and oh, yeah. and the disillusionment that you've had with America? Is that why you're in Bali? Surfing? Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, um, so <laughs> Let's I... Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I have been working in IT since I graduated college in, two, uh, in 2000. and In uh, California. Uh, in California. And then, oh. well, be, be, my first job was actually um, uh, for working for a tech consulting firm. So I, I, I travel across... All, like the entire country I just go over wherever the client is uh, it was great for when I was in my 20s you know get to travel um, and see see the world uh, but in uh, for the last 10 years the comp- the consulting company I was working for um, was working for one client you know Toyota Toyota uh, uh, North America and and then uh, Toyota then the Toyota. So, was this like a management consulting type shop. No, no no, 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 no. It's a tech tech consulting outfit, mm-hmm. um, and so we just basically took over um, like the Toyota offsource all their IT needs. We we are kind of the um, we are the main contractors. We're like kind of the um, gatekeepers for for Toyota IT, but we're but because we're in house, we are you know it's located within Toyota. We kind of decide which vendors gets projects and stuff like that. Oh, I and see. And yeah, mm-hmm. so but because you know my boss had a close relationship with the uh, with a VP in Toyota IT, as that's how it came about. And and then so you to- were very
0: much a part of the white collar tech, yeah, nineties uh, uh, <laughs> boom. Like you were part yeah, of the yeah. that world. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I I thought I was very American dream.
2: I thought I was set, you know, I was, you know, I, cause yeah. I was surfing buddy with our client. I was surfing buddy with a, with a VP of the Toyota IT. <laughs> we, we, mm-hmm. we, surfed together in Huntington beach before we had to work. So I was, I was cruising. Um, and then Toyota decided they're going to, uh, going to move out of California to Texas. Right. And, and mm-hmm. they require everybody to move and, and for me, that's not an option because you know to Texas, the, the place they're moving to Plano, Texas is six hours from the oh. ocean in every direction. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh you know the the, the Yeah, my 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 surfing buddy, the, the VP of Toyota IT, he he decided to move because he already worked for Toyota for like 25 years and he's only a few years from retirement, so he's gonna go. But I I I, I wasn't planning to move to Texas. And so I took the severance package and then I decided to use the time to oh before that before that the funny thing is my my boss actually after he got the win that the uh, Toyota is moving to uh, Texas, he actually sold the our consulting company to a Chinese company <laughs> so, so so yeah so before so before I left it was actually a Chinese uh, Chinese owned uh, a, a consulting was firm. it called Zha um, Enterprise? <laughs> no, no, it was <laughs> it wasn't my relatives, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I left, um, and I decided. You know, I always wanted to travel to China for a while because I, I I have only been in, in the country like every ten years, so it's been another ten years since I set foot in China. And while my friend, uh, uh, what, what was this
0: like? Twenty was this twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen? 20
2: last year. Twenty nineteen, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. so my my friend, uh, I have an Australian um, uh, expat friend living in Yunnan, right, right on the border with Myanmar. Um, and he, he's, he invited me to go attend the water festival in, uh, in his town, uh, which is supposedly the, the biggest water festival in China where it's basically the same, uh, festival as Songkran in Thailand. It's like the, the Thai new year. And the local ethnicity there, the Dai, the Dai the ethnics uh, they have a very close cultural tie with you know people in Thailand. You know they're all from kind of the same Dai, Thai, uh, Thai speaking language group. Anyway, so so the, the and v- v- was very similar culture. Uh, you know, same type of Buddhism that was practiced. But I always always wanted to witness and participate because I. Uh, from growing up i i you know i watched the Re- yeast is red musical that was produced in 1964 it was a big um musical extravaganza produced by uh i've seen know. that on youtube it's great it's great i highly it's pretty recom- impressive yeah i highly recommend because i i'm a dancer i you know i i, I um, I, I did Latin dance for over ten years. Uh, but yeah, I've,
0: I've seen the videos, Carl. Oh,
2: thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But but when I watch Ye of Red, I'm uh, so impressed by the dancing choreography, and especially the the last about fifteen minutes is a nationality dance. So they feature uh, different ethnicities in China doing their own traditional dance. You know, there's Tibetan, Uyghur, and uh, but the 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 ones I like the most is a Dai. Uh, the dye dance with a with a garland. It's a procession of dai women coming out with flower garland um, to their traditional music. So I told my friend, and he's like, "Oh, that's actually a part of the ritual of Water Festival. That you know, people on the day before Water Festival, people go up the mountains to gather flowers uh, to as offering for Buddha." I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" So I gotta go. Um, so yeah, so that's how. I, kinda of just I just took up on his offer. Um I got the severance package. I decided to do some extended stay. And it turns out after my time in Yunnan, my dad also happened to be in China and and he lives in the East Coast. So we don't actually meet a lot within US except on you know holidays. So I decided to go spend some time. He with lives him.
0: wait sorry, he lives on the east coast of the US?
2: Yeah, he lives in North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, he lives okay, in gotcha. uh, Is mm-hmm. he moved to uh, the research park triangle during the two thousand, you know, tech, the, the the first tech boom, right? And mm-hmm. and that time I was already in college in in California in Caltech. So Carl, next I time I you visit and, your
1: parents in North Carolina, you should come visit me.
2: Oh, how far is it from Richmond? Uh, from from Raleigh Durham?
1: Oh, a few hours.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll just fly to you. Man. Or, or I I take quick? the train. <laughs> okay. Yeah, or just come to Bali. I, I highly recommend everyone to come to Bali once the COVID is over. Actually. I've I've flown
1: from Taiwan to Bali. When um, yes, when I'm yes. back in Taiwan, you're you're coming to Taiwan and I'm taking you to um Guanghua Shangchun and we're building you a new computer. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do that. Like I always yeah, wanted we'll to visit. get him a mic too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I always wanted to. visit <laughs> Then we can do Taiwan. a Huan Dao and um,
1: then also go like back backtrack the um, backtrace the route that um, Zheng Chenggong made from um, <laughs> yes from Fujian. Uh, it, it's you could take the ferry from like Gaosheng Lu Jinmen and then take a ferry from take a boat from like there to Xiamen. It would be pretty much like Ooh, what he did. This sounds fun.
0: Oh, dude, let's, I was in uh, Taiwan last year. I got my family has an apartment there, so. Oh. I will join you guys.
2: Yes, yeah. yes, we can do yeah. a all, all a v- vlog together. We'll put it on YouTube. Yes, you, you know, be yeah, you, will do this in person in Taiwan next. time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. And then we can later we can like you know branch out to do the rest of China.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. we also yeah. the also so, the oh, Xinjiang. So you trip. Were... We gotta visit the um yeah.
2: Oh yes, Urum Yes, all that that would be great. Um, yeah. I already know how to say uh, uh, hello in in Uyghur, uh, Yeah, Shimu yeah. says. <laughs>
0: You need to become your own primary source in your own debates online. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Source. I was there. Uh. So. So when you were when you went to, Yunnan, uh, for this trip. I mean, you you didn't think you were gonna go for a. No. You didn't have a return ticket, but you figured what you're gonna be there for like a month or something. Yeah. Yeah. See how long it goes.
2: Yeah, I thought. I I thought okay, this is my opportunity to do like a pan Asian trip. I decided I wanted to do. Uh, spent several months kind of travel around China. And also I, I had uh, had in mind to go to Bali because, you know, that's kind of like the surfers Mecca, right? So, um, and, and, but because my dad uh, decided to show up and also my sister's family. So I decided to spend time with them. And because my dad, he has a, a, a condition with his uh, ankle, it was swollen um and the doctor in US told him he needs to he needs surgery, and he's scared of surgery. Mm. <laughs> uh, and so he decided to go to China and seek help from my uncle because his older brother is actually a pr- practitioner of Chinese medicine, and see if they can fix it with uh, non-invasive procedures first. So I spent two months with my dad while he was getting treatment from my uncle, and after that, I was getting. Uh, kind of cabin fever because I haven't been surfing, um, and <laughs> so so I went to I did one last trip to visit my friends in Guangzhou, and and after that I went back to my hometown Chongqing to pick up my surfboard and, and came to Bali. So so my. In, My original goal was only to spend uh, one month in Bali, Uh, but I like it so much, I just keep on extending my stay. (laughs) And then I realized, uh, you know, talking from surfers in Bali that, uh, you know, like I was just chatting them up, oh, like how long have you been in Bali? I was expecting them to say, oh, you know, four days or a few weeks. And they're like, oh, I've been here for six years. I'm like, what? Uh, How, how'd you uh-huh. do that? And they're like, oh, yeah. it's easy. You just do visa runs. You know, you go to Singapore, Malaysia, you come back in a day. <laughs> I did Krono not even was a know sex that's pack. an option. So, I would... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm married. Okay, I'm married. Huh. I got the ring to approve it. Um, no, so... but you've
0: got the US. You've got the USD conversion on your side too. Right? Yes. Like, yes. If I recall, when I was in Bali, it was a long, it was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, but the Conversion rate there, I mean, I there's a reason there's a lot of Australians in Bali. Yes, yes. I mean, things are very like the currency exchange is ridiculous.
2: The one US is one US dollar is currently uh, uh, thirteen thousand Indonesian rupiah right now. Um, I think that was similar to when I was there. Yeah,
0: yeah. And is there still? If I recall, there was like I remember just because there's like a this ring road that goes around. Uh, the island and i remember because we lived a little bit outside of uh, Dempesar mm-hmm. to the east and yeah. on the road like you would just see like so many of these huge wooden doors probably getting ready for export to go mm. to like asian fusion restaurants in sydney or something mm. um but just these huge wooden goods for yeah. export do you know what i'm talking is that still going on and is that <sighs>
2: Uh well not okay. at the not at the moment because of COVID. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> there's okay. no nothing okay. is getting off the island. Um, right. but but you know Bali is still uh, surprisingly very rural. I mean, like there's not much industries uh, besides like handicraft industry um, and tourism, and mostly is tourism catering from foreign tourists. And and like there's no not a lot of kind of manufacturing going on on the island and they you know right now because of COVID, most people who work in the hospitality industry they just go back to their farms right they just go back to their village and work in the rice field and stuff like that mm, um mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's very surprisingly rural i mean like it's uh i mean i guess it makes sense when you know you have you, you can well before COVID when you can just make money from the tourist dollars there's really no need to develop um, industry. but I, I was happy that that Huawei actually built a telecom system in Indonesia. so so that's why I was able to live stream on YouTube my you know like anywhere anywhere in Bali actually it's pretty impressive like even in jungles and stuff.
0: But so is that, that's the deal. You don't have a return ticket other than for these visa runs. Well, I don't know if you <laughs> need that anymore now that you're married, but like, is that yeah? Is that the deal? Like you're, you're, you're there. I'm staying. You're I'm staying. There.
2: I'm not, I'm not. And are you, are you happy
0: to be, you know, as far, pretty much as far away oh. as possible from the United States? Oh yeah. As, mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, mm. like, like I it, it happened. You don't miss anything about your old life? <laughs> no, I mean, okay, <laughs> I miss my friends. I, I do miss my uh-huh. friends. I mean, like surfing wise, man, you know, I get the birth well, best yeah. surfing spots. Like, like sure. my two passions in life, you know, surfing dan- and dancing. I could do both in Bali um mm-hmm. and so i mean i actually surprised me because like the there's still actually salsa and bachata going on in bali and mm-hmm. uh, uh well, i haven't been doing it but i know people are still doing it and they're not even wearing masks but it's, it's probably irresponsible but they're, they're yeah so 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 dancing surfing it's still possible in Bali. And and you know, I really see no reason to, to leave. I love I love I, I'm a tropical person. I love the weather. I love the food. You know, I love my wife.
0: Okay, so <laughs> so it sounds like well, yeah, it sounds like it didn't take too much to convince you to leave <laughs> the uh white collar consulting life behind you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank and and, and also Bali is cheap, so that's why I'm able to survive on my Patreon income right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thus, 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 Shang-Yu's observation that you're a sex pet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shangyu, what about you, man? I know you <coughs> picked up and left, you know, a while, uh, some time ago, 2017, um, to go to 2017. Wow. Okay, so not not that long ago, but then you went to Taiwan for a while. I know, like, um, you were uh, traveling around a bit too in Asia. You've you you came back. Uh, to the U.S., but I, is that going to be a temporary thing? Are You, you looking into to you know um, get back into uh, get back to your life well, in Taiwan um, or, or elsewhere in Asia. Part
1: of the deal for moving to Taiwan was that I promised I would return to study computer science because um, I was unhappy with what I studied in university before. But um, I was in a situation. My mm-hmm. family was going through financial hardships, so I, I couldn't just um, change majors mm-hmm. halfway through. I didn't. I felt that that would be the irresponsible thing to do. So um, my mom always felt that my my um, computer science would be something that I would be decent at. That I wouldn't hate too much for a career, and she was right. But I had ideas of my own when I was like eighteen. So, um, anyways, um. That move happened in 2017, but um, I, I think the kind of the road was paved long before because my kind of quasi music career really began when I was like 17 or 18. And it was and it was always Taiwan based. So it was something that um mm. I kind of worked on on and off, but it was something that I really just wanted to um I wanted to focus more on it. At that time, I was like, okay, my family now is in a situation where it can support me going back to school. But before I do that, I want to go get this out of my system. And um, so I, I I just didn't want to grow older and live with regrets. But the longer I, mm-hmm. I, I've lived there, I was like, it's, I, I don't know. it's, I'm happier there than I am here. So, right. yeah, I I don't imagine my stay in the U.S. to be permanent. But if working in the U.S. for a few years after I finished school in May would help me out in the long run, it's not something that I would be opposed to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: But that, that still sounds like a pretty temporary thing, but you're – I guess. I guess what I'm trying to get at
1: is like with how, tech. Um, well, I mean, I I'm I mean, not. Um, I'm pretty open mm. to trying out a career in somewhere like Shenzhen if anyone would take me. You know. Mm.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, the question, t- uh, what I'm more curious about, I guess, is not so much because uh, I can understand obviously why people are interested in going to Asia. That's not hard to understand. Uh, but uh, what's more, uh what's what's what i'm what i'm thinking about more these days is is how much the us is sort of viewed as maybe uh a sinking ship that you want to escape or there 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 would be no uh viable future here for you either just because of the situation or be or as a as a uh chinese american or asian american or okay anything like that like is there something about the united states that you find that you want to get away from well, that kind of thing.
1: Because here, here's the thing. That a lot yes, more. I mean, if you know my politics, you know that I am not exactly a fan of the U.S., especially not its foreign policy. But also the way that, that it can it can spend trillions of dollars on wars abroad, but can't even fix its own infrastructure or provide its people with decent decent housing or you know just fix a lot of the problems that can easily be fixed given its given the vast amount of resources it has. But I think um, if you look farther into my family's history, I mean, why did grandfather my paternal grandfather lived his leave his native sandong for um china's northeast and eventually korea was it because he really just wanted to wanted to leave his home or was it because he was looking for a better future right and um you, you know history played out that my my dad was born in south korea and um why did he leave why and he and then he studied in taiwan because you know there were the the KMT was trying to just appeal to overseas chinese all over and they gave and they gave like overseas chinese like my dad like you know this sort of affirmative action thing but um, it was they, they made it as attractive as possible for overseas chinese to go study in taiwan and, and plus um the chinese diaspora in south korea was treated like shit so um but it's like why did why did he decide to come to the u.s why did my mom decide to come to the u.s it's because they they believe they believe that they could have a better future here not because they wanted to just leave their culture and all that stuff behind not because they wanted to live an ocean away from their parents or i don't don't know if they even if they did they wouldn't admit it right um (laughs) yeah
0: yeah for sure mine admitted that but yes i I understand what you're saying
1: yeah i mean you also look at um for example i I guess a less a more extreme example would be why do people in let's say honduras move to the u.s to be treated like shit is it because they hate honduras or is it because all this destabilization makes it hard for them to live back i mean it wasn't like that hard to survive for like my parents i don't think back home but i mean i'm
0: I'm sure these i'm sure these guys when they line up on fridays at the western union i mean i'm sure that they wish it was
1: them that they could send back for the weekend or whatever but they're here to earn money so um Mm -hmm. i think it's perfectly reasonable i don't see myself as um because i've always been culturally connected to my roots i don't i don't think of it really as like leaving my home but more like returning home the way i like to say it you know know the term in um, chinese hai yeah I, I like to think uh, yes, of myself yeah. as like a good highway like a cross generational hiway you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's my that's my approach yeah. to the... do you,
0: do you find that that's do you find that that's viable for you though like out i mean leaving the u s aside but like you know going to taiwan uh i don't know if that's where you think about going but do you find that that there was a, a place for you there did you feel that you could really live out your life the way that you wanted to there? Is that something you're looking well,
1: forward Well, um, in, in my case, I, I mean, I, I went back to Taiwan often as a kid growing up, you know, like almost every summer before uh, my family, like had the experience of financial hardships later on. So um, there was that, but yeah. I never really had a friend group there until I started making music when I was like 17 or 18. And back that was back when like, Hip hop in Taiwan was really becoming, starting to get big, like underground big, not like mainstream big yet, but underground big. It's like everyone knew each other. You, you're if you're just even like remotely, like active in the hip hop community, there, it's, you automatically have like a friend group. It, you're not going to be like friends with everybody who makes this stuff, but at least you're going to be friends with at least a subset of it. Even with your political background, even in well, oh, I wasn't really a communist. But back when I was like seventeen or eighteen, I kind of i i got i got the develop oh, okay. my yeah. um a slight following first, and then develop my friend group, and then I became more radicalized. But even with my um gotcha. okay. political background, I feel like if I can if I can express myself well enough, you'll find somebody who agrees with at least some of what you say. That's that's not the problem, but. I do think that it was important for me to at least have this sort of have a sort of friend group that's not just family over there to to go to because I feel like to really experience a culture, you know, you really have to just make friends with people there. That's why I think um, you know there are some expats in Taiwan who lived there for like ten years and they're like um like they're like third rate English teachers. Who are like kind of creeps and are just pieces of shit in general. Like they can live there for the longest amount of time, mm. but I feel that they don't really experience. They don't really get the full experience. Nor do they. Nor are they really oh, looking yeah, to get that experience. Yeah. So you, they just want to get laid and run away from their problems. Right. But yeah.
0: um, I mean they're they're kind of in hiding over. Yeah, there yeah. yeah. It's
1: whereas like with people like us, it would be like okay, we want to be more connected with our culture but also because well i mean do we do i mean i mean everyone every everybody has a different answer to this but i don't feel that i really belong in america i mean i've been told all my life hey um you're never going to be seen as a real american and you know i i tend to believe that and and with my political radicalization at this point it's like why do i even want to be seen as an american you know
0: yeah I mean connecting it back a little to what we were talking about uh earlier um about the eighties and nineties and stuff, you know I think my my experience, Carl was that again, like it, it, late eighties nineties peak of American power, peak of American cultural dominance around the globe, it's impossible as far as I could tell, to separate out power and might from being right, meaning that United States cultural dominance meant it had a vibrant culture that pull polit- you know american um, you know American dominance meant that it had you know a functional politics and that um, our system was correct our system was right because as far as I can tell from then till now we haven't changed our system we haven 't really changed our culture when
1: you 're that rich and powerful um, you can um, you have the resources to it- just really um, steer the discourse in this regard. and if you're doing somewhat okay for yourself, like okay, even even though um all this is propped up by imperialism, you have enough influence in the global media to just kind of, kind of shift attention away from that. But when things are getting so fucked up now, with like, I, I mean, things were always this stuff was even like in the '80s, you know, like with with um Reagan, and you know, you had like the crack crack um epidemic with you know the 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 u.s funding the contras with like by helping them bring their cocaine to the u.s and all that stuff it it was able to paint this picture and kind of keep everything as long as if as long as you're not in the u.s and if you're away from like the problem areas of the u.s you could live your life believing what you're presented was like representative of the u.s um, Mm -hmm. kind of more or less
2: I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's, uh, that's true. But to both what you said, I mean, there was, there's kind of a prosperity gospel, right? Basically in U.S. Uh, that, that basically this is U.S. system is what's enabled us to continue to enjoy uh, this prosperity that we should cherish. Uh, but, and, and I think for a lot of the Asian Americans, especially Chinese Americans, they kind of live in this gilded cage. In U.S., you know, especially for people who work in maybe like tech or finance, um, all, all, all these professional fields where you know the pay, which you pay. probably
0: found yourself inside of a little
2: bit. Yes, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was inside for for you know, over twenty years. Um, mm. and 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 you know, it's it's like okay, why do I I don't have incentive to. You know, to leave the system, it, it, it's working well for me. But I think it's it that is changing a little bit now. One is a witch hunt in US, increasing Sinophobia, right, uh, against uh, Chinese uh, people of Chinese descent, and uh, and and especially if you work in the STEM field, like now, like basically the the the, the US government is saying every. Chinese person or person of Chinese descent is a possible CCP agent, right? <laughs> um, and and um, and on top of that, um, you know, it's it's just it's just you can see all the. Dysfunction but that aside, <laughs> Carl, it's all around you.
1: Sorry, even yeah. with that aside, what like, right. as part of somebody who was like in that sort of gilded cage, you know how we talked about on Fred Engst, the um, nephew of um, yeah. Hinton. The, um, the guy who wrote Fanson, yeah. he said in this interview that um, he was describing like the sort of privileged life that his family was given by the party because of their status and, and how they hated it, how they wanted to be among the workers and stuff. And the way he described it in Chinese was, <speaking> in Chinese> So basically, it's like a, it's a gilded, um, um, slum, like materially it's gold, but spiritually it's, um, it's impoverished. Um, people don't live simply just to, you know, have something to eat and have something to wear when you're full. And when you have water to drink and you're just, um, kind of lying there, that's, that's living like a pig, not like a human.
2: I, I think that's absolutely true because, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, a, a poor immigrant kid living in inner city Chicago, you know, getting into that middle class was something to strive for uh but once you are there once you are inside that gilded cage it's like okay what 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 more is there it's uh it it's there's there's a void it's kind of like really i mean it's, there's a what the middle the, the us middle class it's it's um that's why i found the end of history is so um yeah, depressing and
0: bleak. <laughs> you know, back in there's going to be no nothing new. This is as good as it gets. Exactly, exactly. And so, if and, you're not loving it, if you're not totally being like, oh my god, I'm living in paradise, then you're kind of fucked.
2: Yeah, <laughs> because you're just not going to get any better. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why when I went to, so I have been traveling to China. Uh, you know, like I said, every ten years. I remember. Uh, When I first went back in 2001 and then later in 2010, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of improvement in China, Um, but I still felt back then that China would be a great place to visit just because it offers a lot of interesting cultural, historical uh, sites. But it's not something I could see myself living there because there's still, back in 2001 and 2010, there's still a, a... big gap, you know, just among, uh, just in in terms of um, living standards and also like the the environment. Um, uh, uh, But when I went back 2019, one of the realization I had is China had become a lot more livable. Like I would not mind living here. Um, so, so that that is a big shift. I think, you, like, I can't uh, really explain it. Uh, but you know, I when I went to China, I, like the the city is clean now. It's 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 like that's a really big surprise to me. Like the the, the, the Chinese cities are now surprisingly clean, um, and they're also putting a lot of effort to clean up the environment. Um, uh, like we're we we're, we're you know in nine two thousand and one and. 2010, I saw a lot of kind of the effect of the breakneck breakneck development, right? There's like, uh, when I went to Chengdu, Chengdu was tr- trying to build its urban core, so it was construction everywhere. There's dust everywhere. It's always, uh, like you can't see the sun. It's always you know smog in, in Shanghai. It's, Looks like you're living in like Blade Runner, right? Kind of. There's always a smog, (laughs) especially at night with the 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 eerie glow that's uh, giving off by the neon lights in the in the smog. It's like you're living in the Blade Runner world. Um, But in 2019, which is
0: now California, actually California's this
2: (laughs) has turned into that, hasn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, so in every way, you know, life are improving in China and also in just in uh, Asia Pacific in general. Because you know, when China start growing, it's the the tide raises all boats, right? I mean, that that's that's something but, I real. Go ahead, sorry.
0: But do you, but do you think that the gilded cage phenomenon does not apply as much in China? Or um, how do you see that? How do you see that working? Yeah, I, I, it's an unfair question because yeah, you're not working there or living there. Yeah, but,
2: yeah, yeah. What yeah. I found, just from people I talk to, right? It's it, there's a lot of optimism in China compared to the United States. Um, you know, a lot of people believe things are continually getting better and better, and and that has been their experience basically for the last thirty years, right? And and I, yeah. So so people. Um, so people from the people I know, a lot of people are pretty happy and optimistic and looking forward to the future in China than say United States. But that that's totally not the case in US right now. Mm. So
0: yeah, Shangyi, what did you think about Taiwan? Because Taiwan's a
1: bit different, right? I think Taiwan's. Uh... I still I see the same I see the same pessimism that a lot of them like people like millennials are experiencing and yeah i mean a lot of
0: people are leaving taiwan right they're they're going to i mean a lot of them are coming here to the united states but they're also going to china and stuff like that from i've seen
1: i mean i think with taiwan it's like um i i want to be Uh, close to there because that's where my friends and family are but i don't necessarily have to be there i mean i don't mind living there if i if i can get a job there and like live a decent life that's fine too, but I'm also not opposed to working in, let's say, Shenzhen. I'm not limiting myself to just Chinese.
2: If you're working in tech industry, Shenzhen is probably where you want to be because that's that's where all the exciting stuff is happening right now, um, and 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 especially given the trade U.S. China trade war, I mean tech war that's been driven by the Trump administration, <laughs> it, actually that prompted China, the Chinese government, to to um, shift even more emphasis on the indigenous tech development so there will be going to be more investment into that sector and and if you're if you're a chinese person working in tech in united states i'm going to repeat my advice that i have given in my own podcast is get out right now you know if you work in the stem field in united states get out right now if you have the option return to china you will have much better future
0: why the urgency i mean i can see why getting out but what's the what's with the what with the right now meaning like get in while the getting's good before there's some sort of door that closes
2: or yes what's the, both mm-hmm. both i mean wh- one is i i don't see a uh, situation u.s improve significantly in the new, near future i think it's only going to get worse and also um like right now uh so for overseas uh, returnees in China, back in the 80s, you will be treated like royalties, right? <laughs> like if I, my dad had returned to China in 1989, he would be like some very important figure in in his field right, right now. Like versus – like jump,
0: jump the line, so to
2: speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus mm. just another member of American middle class, you know, like an engineer, mm. Um that has been the experience of of his classmates right a lot of the, the people people who who stay in china made it big because at that time that they're tal- they're few in numbers, you know, with their kind of ba- overseas background, their education level, etc. Um, and and same thing with uh, kind of the returning uh, overseas returnees over the years. I- initially, they're being overvalued, but as more and more of them become available, you know, <laughs> your your value, your added value, is is comparatively less. So right now, so but right now, you know, as China is focusing on its uh, kind of Ramping up, catch up with United mm. States in tech. You know they are still in urgent need of high tech talent. So so this mm. is that's a time when if you go return, you you make uh, you make the most impact uh, both for your own career and you know also you know in China and and so and I think it's actually a win win situation uh, if you are a person of Chinese heritage. Who can, you know, land a job over there.
0: Yeah. I think that makes sense. I've heard I've heard the same. I've heard people speculate about whether that's true. Meaning I think th- people are are really thinking hard about that. And I think it's expanding a little bit beyond tech, probably like fairly soon, maybe not right now, but you know, finance as a sector yes. also is gonna be rampant like Chinese capital markets development's gonna kick into gear. Yes. Uh at a rate, you know, that's gonna be a big frontier too. Yep. Um so yeah I can see more and more uh, career opportunities I don't know whether do you think Chinese Americans actually have uh, a leg up there because (laughs) culturally it's more comfortable for them or is this still kind of a Uh, thing that you you know you want to be a white guy for how how does that work oh
2: oh oh okay okay
0: Okay, that's part one of the podcast with Carl and Xiang Yu part two of the podcast will be available on the Patreon feed